Central Illinois reflects on 9-11 20 years later. Texas Roadhouse opens Monday in Bloomington. More on these stories, I'm Sierra Henry. I'm Kelsey Watsonauer. And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. I'm just going to jump right into it today, folks. We have a stacked podcast for you all, so I'll sit back, relax, and just listen to us tell you the news. Now, down in Decatur, city officials announced Friday that a new 635,000 square foot warehouse and distribution facility is being developed on the city's northeast side. The facility will employ up to 75 people and will be located in the city's logistics corridor. It is being developed by the Atkins Group, a family-owned business based in Urbana, with real estate holdings consisting of residential, farm, industrial, office, and commercial properties. Construction on this massive facility is underway with expected completion next summer. To read more about the Atkins Group's plans for the project, as well as comments from city and county officials, find Valerie Wells' story at herald-review.com. A senior housing facility renovated out of the former Paris High School has received a statewide historic preservation award. Tiger Senior Apartments received the 2021 Richard H. Driehaus Foundation Preservation Award from the nonprofit Landmarks Illinois for for its reuse and rehabilitation of the 100-year-old former schoolhouse. For more information on what this project was and the award, you can read Rob Stroud's report at jg-tc.com. Big news for Bloomington, the new Texas Roadhouse is opening at its location on Empire Street in the Bloomington Commons Shopping Center next Monday. The site has been in the works since late 2019 when it was first approved by the Bloomington planning officials. So if you want a taste of those sweet, sweet rolls, you're going to have to come up and visit us here in Bloomington next week. Tim Eggert has all the details on the restaurant schedule and more at Panagraph.com. Yeehaw! Nonprofit New Life Car Care in Mattoon received a $4,000 grant from the Molina Cares Foundation to repair its first tow truck. New Life Car Care serves between 150 to 200 clients each year for repairing vehicles for people in financial need. The company tow truck has been in severe need of repairs, and Molina Cares Foundation awarded the grant to help the organization as a way of investing in community health. New Life Car Care started in 2001 and repairs vehicles and offers basic automobile care classes, among other services. Rob Stroud with JGTC has the full scoop at jg-tc.com with comments from New Life and their community partners, so be sure to check that out. A new Love's truck stop, gas station, and RV park could be coming to normal soon with proposed plans heading to the town council. The company plans to construct a 9,800-square-foot gas station with an attached Bojangles restaurant and a 13,000-square-foot overnight RV park with a tire shop, walking trails, a grilling station, and two dog parks. This could be a huge deal for normal as the site would be located right off Interstate 55, bringing in travelers from out of state and all over. The Bojangles is also a huge plus as it would be the second ever Bojangles in Illinois. Um, The restaurant was founded in North Carolina in Charlotte. Um, It's really good. I'm really excited. Uh, To read more about the plans, you can find my story at panagraph.com. Okay, we are finally through all the business news, so we're just going to head on over to local government. Kelsey, what's happening in Decatur? Down in Decatur, the Children's Museum of Illinois received a $200,000 lifeline in the form of a subsidy from the city to help the educational institution regain its footing following the economic hardships brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. 
If you didn't know, children's museums across Illinois were hit particularly bad due to their hands-on nature during the pandemic, and many weren't allowed to reopen to the public until this spring, well over a year into the pandemic. If you want to learn more about the challenges children's museums are facing right now, you can read Brendan Moore's full story at herald-review.com. A normal business owner confronted town councilman Stan Nord over comments he made in a video and written on his public Facebook page. Julie Heil, who is an owner of Normandy Village in Normal, said that Nord misrepresented her and her partner's intentions for Normandy Village following an August 17th town council meeting in which the town passed a controversial zoning amendment to one Normal Plaza planned unit development, of which Normandy Village is a part of. Nord said that he was only referencing what Heil said in other public meetings, and other council members denounced his comments, saying that they were shocked and embarrassed to be associated with them. If you want the full scoop, as well as my past reporting on the zoning amendment and why it's been so controversial, you can find my Monday Night Report and others at Panagraph.com. Central Illinois is the perfect location for wind farms with its flat lands and open fields, and McLean County has been a key player in what state leaders call the nation's wind belt. The county's wind farms alone have churned out enough energy to power more than 250,000 homes per year while taking in millions of dollars in property taxes, all while producing zero carbon emissions. But the farms haven't been met with glowing reviews, and some residents are very much opposed to these massive windmills. Last week, reporters Kate Heather, Tim Egger, and Brendan Moore investigated the state's wind farms. They spoke with residents, farm owners, and experts to give a comprehensive look at this interesting phenomenon. So if you want to read more about what's going on with wind energy, you can find that story on any of our three websites, panagraph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com. Let's kick it over to a little bit of health-related news. Sierra, take it away. OSF Healthcare now has its own hangar at the Central Illinois Regional Airport to house its Life Flight Air Ambulance. The helicopter has been servicing OSF St. Joseph Medical Center in Bloomington since 2018 on a 12-hour, 7-day rotation with OSF Healthcare St. James John W. Albrecht Medical Center in Pontiac. But as of Thursday, the Life Flight helicopter and a team of four pilots, 10 flight nurses and paramedics, and two mechanics will be based in Bloomington 24-7 to help transport patients more quickly to and from St. Joe's. Panagraph reporter Tim Egger was at Sierra yesterday for the hangar's blessing performed by a St. Joe's priest, and he has the full story plus photos and video at Panagraph.com. Moving into education news, Kelsey's going to talk about some emails coming out of Decatur Public Schools. Jamie Goodman, an art teacher at South Shore School in Decatur, faces a preliminary charge of aggravated battery of a child. The complaint indicates a student in her class did not put her head down on a desk after Goodman asked students to do so, and Goodman is accused of forcing the child's head down. The Herald and Review this week obtained emails sent between Decatur Public Schools administrators and the teacher, in which Goodman thanked Principal Ganeka Gully for showing her support in this incident and asked that another adult be present in her classroom the following week. The mother of the student, who is named as a victim in the case reached out to, to school board members seeking advice and support and expressing frustration that Goodman was still working the Monday after the incident was, was reported. According to the emails, Goodman was sent home early on that Monday and awaits further information on next steps from the district. 
Valerie Wells is following this case closely, and you can keep up with her latest at herald-review.com. After negotiations that lasted more than a year, Eastern Illinois University has reached tentative agreements with AFSCME Local 981, which represents the school's building service and clerical workers. About 220 employees were affected by the agreement that was ratified on September 2nd and was expected to be approved by the Eastern Board of Trustees this afternoon. The agreement affirms no part of any building service or clerical workers' jobs can be subcontracted out to private companies and includes a pay increase for several workers. For more details about the agreement and the negotiations that led to several pickets, you can find Athena Pager's report at jg-tc.com. A pair of Illinois State University students and their professor are doing work that they hope will create even smaller, more efficient electronics, Panograph reporter Connor Wood wrote this week. The team is making silicone nanostructures and nanoparticles to develop ways to make even smaller structures that could be used for renewable energy and space engineering, among an array of other possible Possibilities. I am not a science person, but Connor wrote that the structures of these students are working on are extremely small, less than 250 nanometers or one billionth of a meter. For comparison, a strand of human hair is about 100,000 nanometers thick, and a human DNA is about 2.5 nanometers wide. Whatever that means to you. Um, I personally have a hard time imagining it. But anyways, kudos to these students. To learn more about what they're hoping to accomplish through the research, you can read Connor's full story at pantograph.com. And there was no one story tied to this, but I just want to take a moment to um, talk about multiple school districts across the central Illinois area have been, um, administrators have been talking a lot about shortages. I, I understand that uh, employment has been an issue throughout this pandemic, especially now, but um, I know in Unit 5, District 87, Hayworth, Decatur Public Schools, a lot of schools across this region, they're in need of bus drivers and teachers, various types of teachers, as well as substitutes for basically every job because uh, if anyone gets COVID they have or comes in a, as a close contact, they'll have to quarantine for X amount of days, so they definitely need subs for all these positions. Um, Valerie Wells had a story this week out of Decatur about the shortage of bus drivers, and I had a, I also had a bus driver shortage story just before school started last month, and I know that every time I talk to Superintendent Kristen Weichel in Unit 5, she mentions that uh, there's a shortage of teachers and subs and paraprofessionals and all that, so... We have coverage of those things uh, across our websites, herald-review.com, panograph.com, jg-tc.com. And if you want more information from any of these school districts about how you might uh, gain some employment, you can reach, <laughs> you can go to their websites as well. Now let's move into some sports. <laughs> now that I'm done rambling. Uh, the full schedule for the University of Illinois men's basketball team has been released for the upcoming season, and it looks like the Fighting Illini will kick things off with a home exhibition against the University of St. Francis on October 23rd. The season opener sends the men to Marquette on November 15th, and Big Ten play begins December 3rd with a matchup against Rutgers at home before they begin before they head to Iowa on December 6th. 
Uh, the Illini are coming off of a 24-7 campaign last year with a program record 19 games against Big Ten opponents. Between now and then, the team has lost starting guards Ayo Dasunmu and Adam Miller to the NBA draft and a transfer to LSU, respectively. But as we've talked about pretty extensively on the pod, star center Kofi Cokeburn returns to be joined by freshman standout Andre Corbello. So while yes, it's fall and football is at the top of everyone's minds, Illinois Hoops fans can start to look forward to what we hope to be another exciting season that brings the team back to the big dance in March. To read more, be sure to follow along with our UFI reporter, James Boyd. His stories can be found across our three websites at herald-review.com, jg-tc.com, and pantograph.com. The football field at Normal Community High School was dedicated to longtime coach Dick Tharp last week in a ceremony that brought back so many former players and assistant coaches to honor his 22 years leading young athletes in Normal. 90-year-old Coach Tharp was able to be there in person to accept his honor, and he told the Panagraph that the dedication meant everything to him. Sadly, just four days later, Coach Tharp passed away on Tuesday, leaving behind an unmatched legacy as the winningest coach in Ironman history, and a dedication that ensures he's not forgotten. In reflecting on the field's new name and the coach's legacy, Panagraph columnist and former sports editor Randy Kindred said he has had a said he has been a first-hand witness to what could be called a golden era of football in Bloomington Normal, in part thanks to Coach Tharp. Our sports team showed up in full force for the dedication last Friday and were able to talk to the coach as well as his former players, family, and friends. So if you want to read more and see loads of video from the game and the dedication or check out Randy's columns, you can head over to Panagraph.com. Highly recommend it. Now let's move into some public safety and courts news. Sierra, what happened in Decatur? The Decatur City Council and Police Union have finally agreed to a new bargaining agreement after nearly two years without a contract. The agreement covers all working conditions including salaries, training, hours, uniform, equipment, sick leave, and vacations. It also contains a 2.25% annual increase in base pay and changes to health insurance provisions to bring the department on the same benefit plan as other city employees. For more about the history of these negotiations and what happened at Decatur City Government this week, you can read Brendan Moore's report at herald-review.com. In McLean County Court, there was an update on a 30-year-old murder case this week. Jamie Snow's lawyers, who are working to exonerate him from a 2001 murder conviction in the death of William Little, will be allowed to review nearly 8,000 pages of documents that include prosecutors' evidence against him. As it stands, Snow, who's now 55, is serving a life sentence for killing Little at a Bloomington gas station on Easter Sunday in 1991. Schuyler County Judge Ramon Escapa ruled Wednesday to grant the defense motion in a full McLean County courtroom. Snow's attorneys from the Exoneration Project said among the thousands of pages of discovery, many of which many of which predate his trial, there could be information pivotal to prove Snow's innocence. Panagraph reporter Kate Heather was in the Law and Justice Center this week and has the full story, including when including when we can expect to hear from Snow and his attorneys next, over at Panagraph.com. In the wake of Hurricane Ida, which hit Louisiana exactly 16 years after Katrina, Governor J.B. Pritzker activated approximately 160 Illinois Army National Guardsmen, including 45 from the unit based in Mattoon. The Louisiana National Guard requested assistance for manpower and equipment to help them with commodities distribution 
general search and rescue, storm debris removal and route clearance, and general security and curfew enforcement. The 634th Brigade Support Battalion, which is based in Mattoon as part of the 33rd Infantry Brigade Combat Team, will provide commodities transport via military flat rock vehicles and provide an officer and non-commissioned officer as a command team and two combat medics. To read more about how our local guardsmen are helping with the storm recovery, be sure to find Rob Stroud's report at gg-tc.com. Uh, so Kelsey's going to take us into some community-related news, folks. As this podcast comes out, it's September 10th, which means tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks in New York and Washington and Pennsylvania. Um, since it has been 20 years, and that's a pretty significant anniversary, we put a lot of focus on stories reflecting on that time, looking back at and talking to people who were there, people who were def- directly impacted by that, as well as seeing how far we've come since then, and talking to veterans about how they view things from this side of the war. Uh, Cade, Heather, and I uh, spoke to people who were formerly of McLean County, who um, now live in Washington and New York, but also lived in that area at the time of um, the attacks, and just talked about like what they saw and the fallout it was really interesting talking to these people because they they offered some interesting perspectives i also spoke with a former congressman who actually retired like a few months before uh, the attacks and he talked about he how he remembers a lot of the pressure um, on republican leaders to respond to the attack with military action and just reflections on that with the developments that have been going on in afghanistan in the last month and a half um, we have stories coming out across our three websites at pantograph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com, kind of with the same, you know, outlook, talking with people um, from central Illinois, just re- a lot of reflections. Um, Panagraph and I'm sure Matt Toon and uh, Decatur have also done this, but we're including um, sub- reader-submitted stories about where they were when the attack happened and what they remember from that time. Uh, Panagraph reporter Brendan Dennison actually talked with a McLean County man who saw Air Force One flying over Bloomington as they were taking uh, President George W. Bush uh, to a safe location following the attacks, uh, which was kind of interesting. Um, Yeah, so it's a heavy day, and there's been a lot to kind of look at over the last 20 years. And if you want to read our stories, you can find them all over uh, pantograph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com. They'll also be all over social media. Um, And yeah, I I think that's going to cover it from my end. Did you have anything else you want to add? Yeah. Since I cover education... My, my angle for this project was talking to students and teachers about how they, how they study 9-11 because it has been 20 years and this is now part of history, um, it, which it was, pretty, it was fairly interesting being able to talk to these kids because they weren't alive 20 years ago. These are 15, 16, 17-year-olds, um, whereas um, while our reporting staff was... Uh, well, our news reporting staff, the Panagraph at least, is pretty young. We're all um, 30 or younger. So we ha- we were fairly young when uh, 9-11 happened in 2001, but we still all have memories of that day. But these kids, 
while they look across social media and see hashtag never forget, hashtag never forget, they don't have a a first-hand memory of that day. So hearing hearing things from their perspective and how they see this, and especially as they're watching um, watching our departure from Afghanistan in the last month, uh, it's been pretty interesting as well as hearing from teachers who were in the classroom on, on that day and um, had to really shift and watch a tragedy unfold in front of them while they were sitting in front of a bunch of children. Um, and I know that uh, Indicator, Valerie Wells, I believe she worked on a similar story talking to students and parents and families about this. Since it's, um, for like the adult population, it's a fairly, it's one thing, whereas for kids, it's a completely different thing. Their entire lives, they their entire lives, uh, the United States has been in international conflict, so they have a very different perspective on this than um, someone who's 45 might. So, um, what are I don't know what, I don't oh I was just gonna say um, and also in Bloomington, reporter Tim Egger wrote about what it was like to be in the newsroom on that day, and he talked to some old old uh, panograph staffers about um, how they how they covered that day as the news was breaking and all of the commotion and as well as like personal turmoil that was unfolding throughout that day. So uh, definitely a day of reflection as well as, you know, looking forward. Well, one of the people I interviewed, we actually talked about how social media would change things um, if it had happened in today. And I thought that was really interesting, especially as like someone who is personally interested in researching um, social media and political trends um, just like thinking about like how much has changed and like she didn't even um, she didn't even have like a cell phone to like call her parents or anything and she she watched it she actually watched the Twin Towers fall from her rooftop in uh, uh, lower Manhattan and um, she actually took a, a photo before the second tower fell and talked about how she didn't even think that uh, it would be possible for the, the second tower to fall. She thought it was over at that end. Um, and like how the landlines were like flooded and couldn't, no one could get calls to home and anything. So thinking with that perspective, it's just um, very interesting. Um, but with that, I'm going to let you all find out for yourselves uh, what we all have in store in our, our um, special section this weekend. So um, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, as always, if you're enjoying this podcast and a reporting, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. While you're at it, head on over to panograph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com to look up subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism.